It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. If it sounds a little different, it should. We are the Hard Rock Casino. In beautiful Hollywood, Florida, the site of the Patriot Awards tonight. And it's going to be great. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Rich Lowry, who's going to be with us in a matter of moments. And as well as uh, Marsha Blackburn is coming up at the bottom of the hour. And, of course, we'll have uh, the latest news. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The people who were protesting right. against what Rittenhouse did, do they, do they think that he will be convicted just when they were talking to you? Uh, frankly, they, they don't. And part of this is pushing that. They think that they want to push uh, and pressure the jury or pressure the court to hold Kyle Rittenhouse accountable, accountable in, the, in their words. Uh, day two of the jury deliberations in the Kyle Rittenhouse case and already jury intimidation is a factor scary for Rittenhouse and the country. Number two. How many children have been in those cages? Uh, Senator, I can uh, uh, provide to you the following uh, figure that um, when, and let me let me say, that when a child... I, I, I don't... Child, I, 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 it's a simple question. How many children I, have been in those cages? Uh, I, I respectfully am not familiar with the term cages. Unbelievable. Uh, this is such an embarrassment. Train wreck. That's why I describe Secretary Mayorkas's appearance in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee as he tries to justify his wide open southern border, the middle of a global pandemic when no one's been tested and there is no vaccine mandate. His explanation has to be heard to be believed. I heard it and I still can't believe it. Number one. There has been uh, wide agreement on the part of everyone involved, moderates, liberals, etc., that CBO does not have experience analyzing revenue amounts gained from cracking down on wealthy tax cheats who are taking advantage of every honest taxpayer. You are kidding me. The economy wearing away as consumer confidence in inflation is wearing away at family budgets. And Joe Biden continues to push his partisan spending palooza, which is likely to have a possible disastrous CBO score. Only Joe Manchin can stop this mess. I want to bring in Rich Larry from the National Review. Hey, Rich, they're working the refs. They're getting ready for a CBO score that will show this thing is not close to paid for. And because of that, we should be dismissed. Do you, you see this play, right? Yeah. <clears throat> no, that's exactly what they're doing. I would say that the CBO score, in my view, probably will end up not being very consequential because the CBO can pretty easily be gamed. So the CBO will come out with a bad score. That's what they seem to be preparing everyone for. And then they'll, you know, they'll do kind of bookkeeping changes to make it better and hopefully get those moderate votes in the House. So I don't put a lot of stock in the CBO saving us. It has to be cinema and mansion at the end of the day. And now cinema seems to be acquiescing mansion. But I also see this, Rich, and tell me if you think this is a factor. 
We just watched an off-year election, which are a flat-out disaster. We're watching the president from a series of polls just plummet by the day, as low as 38. The last 140, the ABC poll, they see the fact that he's got 23% approval rating at the border. They don't like the direction the economy's going. Um, You see what's happening with Kamala Harris has got half the ratings of the president. Do you believe if you're a moderate congressman or woman, you want to take the hit? For this spending palooza, this human infrastructure in the middle of what I think is the greatest inflation since the numbers say since 1990? Yeah. Um, every circumstance is flashing red for the Democrats, and everything has happened so far to make it harder to pass this rec- reconciliation bill rather than easier. I think the next step has to be Manchin saying, you know what, I, I want my strategic pause that I've talked about. Let's kick this to next year. And then I think it really gets in, in danger of, of going down. But um, the calculation is moderate. That would Democrats. be heroic, Rich. Oh, Wouldn't yeah. that be heroic? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've totally. never seen anything like that. The uh, the calculation uh, of these moderate Democrats, though, I mean, none of them will think this way, but they're all dead. You know, it, it doesn't matter what they do. There, there's a wave coming, even if it's not, you know, the tsunami. It looks like it is at the moment, and it's just a big wave. They're gone. They're going to be swept out of those districts. So they might as well just vote for this thing and then, then you know, please their own party and hope to get some sinecure down the road. But that's not the way any of them think. They, they all think that they somehow the, have the unique ability to survive, and if they just, just uh, you know, maneuver the right way. So maybe – Maybe that means you're right, and that they'll have trouble getting it out of the House. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of assuming it's yeah. gonna, that, that Pelosi will get what she wants on this, though, and then, then we'll see what happens in the Senate. Well, I mean, it, it would be crazy to, you know, if, he gets, if she gets it through the House, see what happens in the Senate. We understand the vote could be as early as Thursday, and then uh, the Senate comes back. Now, when you say tsunami, that's fine, but when you look at the Senate races, it goes seat by seat. So you could say the sentiment is with Republicans, but how do you beat Mark Kelly? The sentiments with Republicans is Herschel Walker going to be the candidate to uh, to get back that seat uh, in that state. And what about it without uh, is Hassan vulnerable in New Hampshire? Yes. But Chris Sununu will not be taking them on. So as much as people want to say the Senate is in play, I look at the I look at the individual races. Do you? Yeah, I mean, the individual candidates matter and the circumstances in each state, but, 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 you get a, a genuine wave and it, it just, it, take, it takes everyone out. You know, we saw this in, in New Jersey, right, where Steve Sweeney loses to a, a truck driver, you know, and that's kind of a refreshing, very American thing to see, but it's not because a truck driver is a great candidate or it's not because Sweeney is a bad politician. I don't know much about him. I assume he's a good politician if he's the president of the state Senate, but he's just taken out. <clears throat> and, and if we see anything like what the polls are indicating now, that's going to happen all around the country. So Republicans can make some sta- mistakes and candidate recruitment and selection and still get over the top. And that's what I would assume at the moment is going to happen. Rich Lowry with us. So let's uh, let's uh, pivot over to immigration. So Secretary Mayorkas looked like a rattled, uh, a rattled individual yesterday, and he should. There's no bigger embarrassment in this country, arguably, than what's happening at our southern border. Not only are they streaming through, they're streaming through unvaccinated. And they say 1.5 million, it's probably double. And the word is they're not upset about it. They're just playing a delay of game until the election. I don't know why. Because Barack Obama wouldn't allow this. Bill Clinton wouldn't allow this. The old Chuck Schumer and Durbin are on the record talking about the need to secure our border. Something happened. Here's a little of the frustration that was on display yesterday. You'll recognize these voices, beginning with Ted Cruz, cut six. How many children have been in those cages? Uh, Senator, I can uh, uh, provide to you the following uh, figure that um, 
when, and let me, let me say, that when a child... I, I, I don't... Child, I, I, it's a simple question. How many children have been in those cages? Uh, I, I respectfully am not familiar with the term cages and to what you are referring. How would you grade yourself? Uh, Senator, um, I'm a tough grader on myself, and I give myself um, an A for effort, investment, okay. in mission, and support of our workforce. <laughs> it's, it's pathetic. An A and, for effort. And they had a big picture up. They had a big picture of, of where these kids are being held in silver bank, blankets. Uh, and, and I mean, they're, they're, most of them are in our country or on a military base right now. They've disappeared. Yeah, well, it, it, effort is, is the one thing they're not trying to do. I mean, they're trying to manage the disaster they created, but they went out of their way to create the disaster. And the reason why Majorca sounds pathetic is there's, there's nothing to say. I mean, there's just nothing good to say. He could be the, the best spin master on the planet. He could be Bill Clinton in his prime, and there'd be no good explanation for what's happened and is continuing to happen at the border. And you're right that prior Democrats, Barack Obama even, certainly Bill Clinton, are, are moderates compared to this administration on immigration. And it's just because the party has lurched left on immigration. It's been a, um, a long-running trend. It was accelerated by the reaction to Donald Trump. And at bottom, at the end of the day, I mean, they'll never say this. They always deny it. But they don't really believe in borders. They just, they just don't. And they've, they've opened a, a huge gaping hole in ours. And you just see the numbers accumulating month after month. It's in, it's incredible, and they just start flying these kids into various states, most of them in working class communities, and they just plop them into schools without telling superintendents or principals, and they're okay with it. They land at two in the morning among uh, agents, and they're just sent to these communities. And I'll tell you, I hold Catholic charities and all these other NGOs who are taking money from the government to facilitate and provide accommodations for illegal immigrants, which means you're going to get more illegal immigrants. I thought Lindsey Graham put it best. When he asked Mayorkas this, cut 11. Do you think you're doing a better job in the Trump administration? Uh, uh, Senator, I believe in the policies that we are putting forward, and I condemn a number of the policies that were promulgated in the prior administration. So you think we have more control over the border now than we did under Trump? Uh, Senator, we're very focused on the uh, That's not the question. You'd be focused. Do you think we have more control over the border now than we did under the last administration? I think we have more control that is consistent with our values as a nation. Okay. Oh. You know, Do you okay, realize I mean, how many nurses have been fired, cops and firefighters, because they're not vaccinated? And they're letting these guys in unvaccinated, and they think by letting people stream in, they have more control? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a strain on these communities. When, when kids show up and they don't know any, any English and, you know, they're desperately behind, presumably, because they're coming from school systems, you know, in Guatemala and Honduras, and maybe they haven't been going to school. That's a huge burden on a school. Just huge. And look, I, I think you can legitimately criticize the child separation policy under Trump, which was abandoned very quickly under Trump because it wasn't sustainable. But then they found a humane alternative that worked. And that was just having these bogus asylum seekers, they're desperate people, my heart goes out to them, but they're not legitimate asylum seekers, stay in Mexico or someplace else while they apply for asylum. And if they're, they're genuine and their asylum claims are accepted, great, 
come in. You know, we're, we're, we're a, a generous and open country in, in important respects. But if you don't and, and you're just making it up, you go home. And, and you, you have to be excluded from the United States to begin with because if you're in here while we're adjudicating your asylum claim, you disappear and we never see you again. And that was just the unacceptable uh, situation that the Trump folks very creatively and intelligently figured out how to fix. And then Biden just threw it all away for no reason. And the courts say you got to put the Remain in Mexico policy back, but they're not doing it. I've never seen anything like it because Mexico has to be convinced to do it, number one, so they're not even trying. Uh, it would be a way to solve it. Lastly, Rich, real quick, I know your foreign policy knowledge is, is uh, without peer. So here is President Biden having his virtual multiple-day uh, virtual summit with President Xi, who, by the way, mysteriously does not want to leave his country. I'm really wondering about that, if there's something to that. But listen to him talk about the most vital issue right now between our nations, and that's Taiwan. Cut 40. We have to make very clear we support the Taiwan Act, and that's it. It's independence. What happens next on Taiwan? You know, it's clear that there's a lot, as you said today, independence. And in the past, no, no, I said that they have to decide, and we are not encouraging independence. Here's Peter Ducey, cut 45, trying to get some clarity here. He said two completely different things about whether or not he wants Taiwan to be independent from China. This afternoon, he said he does want them to get independence. This evening, he said he does not want them to get independence, which is the official U.S. government policy. We've reached out to the experts that work here to figure out what exactly the confusion is all about. He got no answer. Can you help yeah. us? Well, this is the second time Biden has, has messed this up, and it's a little subtle, but come on. The guy's the president of the United States. Uh, if you're saying they're independent, that, that's a huge change in our, in our posture. If you're saying they're, they're not independent, okay, that's, that's the status quo. And I, I think this confusion goes to just a deeper question. The American people will have to decide and decide fairly soon whether we're going to use military force to uh, resist a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, which is coming perhaps you know as soon as the next two years, may, maybe longer. But it's clearly on the horizon, and that's just a big decision. I'm, I'm divided myself on, on that question, you know, from one day to the next. But we need to decide as a country. And if we just don't know and we have a president making these ambiguous remarks, it's just going to be an invitation to China to, to gobble it up, and it will. We just got to put the deterrent there, and it won't, they won't try it. They don't want to fight. They just they want to steamroll. They want to do what they did in Hong Kong. Taiwan's got to be armed to the point where they can fight, mm -hmm. and then yep. they will be embarrassed. Remember, the last time China fought was Vietnam in the late 70s, and they did not have much success. So when they tried to teach Vietnam a lesson. So well, that, I'm very curious to see the, if this expensive hardware they stole. Yeah, the most basic step, you're absolutely right, is arming Taiwan to the teeth with the right stuff. I mean, they tended to, to kind of uh, buy fancy equipment. They, they, they need missiles. They, they need mines for the yeah. Taiwan Strait. Uh, they, they need all that stuff. We just we should be shoveling it to them by the bucketful. Rachel Lowry, I think we solved a lot of the world's problems or at least identified them. I think so you easy, can get some it, rest. Brian? It's so easy. Is it? From the outside. I'll, I'll tell you what. I would do better than anybody in there right now, and I'm convinced. Uh, please vote for me. I can't contradict you. Rich Lowry, you. National Review. Thanks, Thank you. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Listen, one 408 7669 If you're hearing some banging, different sound, it's because we're on the road. Tonight's the Patriot Award seen on Fox Nation, and we'll be broadcasting here for the next two days. Brian Kilmeade Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. This isn't esoteric. This isn't some gigantic bill it is, but it's about what happens to ordinary people. I'm confident that the House is going to pass this bill. And when it passes, it'll go to the Senate. I think we'll get it passed within a week. And it's fully paid for. Yeah, and that was uh, the end of Joe Biden just saying that if we could just get reconciliation package through the Senate uh, to the House, we'll get it through the Senate in about a week. I don't know. There's going to be enormous pressure on Joe Manchin. But to me, there's no pressure on Joe Manchin because West Virginia wanted Donald Trump by 30 points. He has paid zero price for standing up. In fact, he's helped the country by standing up for the filibuster, helped the country by refusing to pack the court, helped the country by not putting immigration into the final package that's going to pass the House, helped the country by refusing to up the upper tax rate from 37 to 39. He's helped us by not adding to the corporate tax rate because he doesn't believe it should go up because we're competing against other countries, not against mom-and-pop businesses around the world. Uh, in our country, and also I just don't know other pay-fors. He also is going to bat saying this is not the time that we should be stopping drilling and exploring and fracking, especially when it comes to something that burns clean like natural gas. And that's why I'm not, not going to be critical of him. And as I mentioned, uh, that I was in West Virginia last weekend or the weekend before, and the governor, Republican justice, got a huge ovation, and he should. But when I mentioned Joe Manchin, he also got a huge ovation. And a lot of times I bring it up and they say Joe Manchin flip-flops, but it's really going to come down to him again. And the president does a terrible job twisting arms, and he just doesn't feel comfortable. Here is Leon Panetta, former chief of staff, former CIA chief of staff for Clinton, former CIA director for Obama, uh, cut for. The administration is in trouble, period. Uh, the president's uh, got, uh, uh, you know, low uh, low rankings in terms of the polls. Uh, the administration uh, has got some problems. Uh, Democrats in general have some problems. I think that's all being reflected uh, among Democrats at every level. So uh, I don't think this is, you know, you can kind of look at one person and say that that person is in trouble. I think the party's in trouble right now. And all of the Democrats, including the president, are going to have to work very hard right now in order to try to deal with the challenges that are out there in the country that, uh, frankly, are not being dealt with. Absolutely not. And he's 100 percent correct. And that's why he's oftentimes a great guest, uh, Leon Panetta. Uh, thanks so much for listening. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're on the road in beautiful Hollywood, Florida, where tonight the Patriots Awards will be taking place. When we come back, we talk to Senator Marsha Blackburn about what she witnessed yesterday with Mayorkas, what we expect to see with this reconciliation package, and how she might have plans to stop it. Brian Kilmeade Show on the road. Thanks so much for being here. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. 
It's Brian Kilmeade. Does the Biden administration have any plans to issue million-dollar payments to the families of those who were killed or assaulted by illegal aliens? Um, Senator, uh, in 2020, there were individuals who crossed illegally into the United States. These are all on your watch. And committed crimes. These are is all it, on your watch. Is it, um, is it your position that the prior administration bears responsibility for that? I'm asking the questions, and these are all on your watch. So, Senator Marsha Blackburn, that was her yesterday, and now she's with us today. Senator, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be with you. That was quite a hearing we had yesterday. And, you know, Brian, I think that everyone was stunned that Secretary Mayorkas was so ill-prepared for that for that hearing yesterday. He didn't have facts, figures. He didn't have clarity. He didn't accept responsibility. He was arrogant and dismissive, and I think it was well noted. He do, do you think he wants that border open? Uh, yes, this is their policy, and this is how they are going to get people into the country. And so they're very happy, very happy with how this, um, how this is working out. This is their plan. Why? Uh, I, I think that what we have in the White House right now, the cabal behind the curtain that's running the show, Ron Klain and Susan Rice and Jake Sullivan and Valerie Jarrett and Barack Obama, they are citizens of the world, and they don't believe in American exceptionalism and leaving this border wide open as it is and taking away, taking away from the Border Patrol resources that they have asked for for 30 years. This is a way to make that border more porous. It is basically Biden and his administration waving the y'all come sign to all of these people that are flooding across the border. And the more you diminish the value of citizenship, the more you uh, diminish the sovereignty of our nation, the easier it is to remove the feeling that we should be the greatest power on the face of the earth and the easier it is to look at people and say, stop saying God bless the USA. Wow, that's a heck of a stride. What proof do we have that Barack Obama's pulling the strings or that uh, Valerie Jarrett's pulling the strings? Susan Rice is there. Ron Klain is there. I get it. But what about the others? Do you, do you hear yeah, things? You know, we, You're in we Washington. I'm hear. not. We just hear from people that are involved, that they are involved, uh, that they are still a part of what is going on with the decisions that are coming at the White House. Because, Brian, I think it is apparent to everyone that the president is not the one who is driving the, the train over there. He is not the one who is setting the agenda, that others are setting the agenda. So I want you to hear Cory Booker ask Mayorkas this question. And with the backdrop knowing that firefighters, nurses, doctors, cops have all been told, and uh, Navy SEALs, if you don't get vaccinated, you are fired. Go home. And they are. 
But listen to this exchange, cut 14. According to the Washington Post, I want to see if this report is true. According to the Washington Post, the plan to provide COVID-19 vaccines to detained migrants was overruled by the White House with a specific intent to deter immigration and asylum seeking. Is that true? That, that, is, that is not. Um, uh, we offer vaccinations to individuals uh, in ICE custody. We do not mandate it. We don't mandate it to illegal aliens. So we bring them in here. We let them stay here. And we're not mandating that they get a vaccine here, but we're doing that on the federal government to contractors that do business with the government and in in cities like New York. You're right. Uh, There is a double standard and it is even with vaccines. You know, people come into that border and the Border Patrol will tell you that it is a period of uh, sometimes as little as eight hours after someone crosses the border, Border Patrol picks them up, they turn them over to one of the nonprofits that are working there at the border. The nonprofits give them food and clothing and a packet. Everyone has seen these packets now where they have their plane ticket, their destination. They have a sheet of paper that says, I do not speak English, please help me. They go to the airport. They have a separate screening from TSA. They don't go through the regular screening because they do not have photo IDs. So TSA gives them a separate line that they go to, they get processed, and they get put on the plane in the seats where they are assigned, and then they're flying. It is amazing. And, Brian, the thing is, who is making the money on this? It is the cartels. They're getting rich. They're making millions of dollars a day trafficking drugs and human beings and moving gangs. And the U.S. taxpayer is the one who is facilitating that passage to the final and, destination once they hit U.S. shores. And I'll add to that. I mean, the Catholic charities, these Jewish charities, these religious charities that are providing the food, shelter, and maybe the teachers, the tutors, that do, anyone who donates to the church and knows that they're part of this, they're part of the problem. The few kids are now making their way through Central America, through the jungles of Panama, in order to come in because they hear when they get here, they're going to have accommodations and a seat in a a school for free. These NGOs are responsible, too. Well, you're right about that. They are responsible because they're helping to facilitate and encourage this illegal immigration because the cartels are telling people, you pay us $10,000 and we will get you to the USA. And then the Border Patrol will pick you up and then you've got these people, the charities, that will take care of you. And so many people cannot pay that $10,000 fee, which is what the price is right now. Border Patrol tells us that's kind of the going rate. And so what they will do is sign on with the cartel to work 
for the cartel once they gotcha. get here. That means it's Senator, labor yeah. yeah, Americans lose. Democrats think they're gaining. I don't know. If there's any justice in the world, they're not. And these other charity organizations got to stop it and shut it down. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we're here in Hollywood, Hollywood, Florida. Hey. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, over the past uh, six weeks, I've had a chance to travel the country and meet so many of you face-to-face. It's been fantastic, especially since we, all of us, have not traveled at all. Our life has been uh, tossed around and turned on its head. But I wrote the President of Freedom Fighter, two years, two months of research, and it's ready to go out November 2nd. Also had a chance to do an hour special around it. One of the features that everyone's talking about, which I wanted to bring back, was my interview simultaneously with Lindsey Grant and Tim Scott, shoulder to shoulder in South Carolina, having a chance overlooking the battery, Fort Sumter, where you see a Confederate statue to my immediate left at one point and to my right. Uh, walking right along the pathway overlooking Fort Sumter is a huge plaque for the 54th Infantry, Regiment Infantry, and that was an all-black unit which was best depicted uh, by Denzel Washington in the movie Glory. Can you imagine that? Fighting for your freedom, but finally getting guns and uniforms to do exactly that. I wanted to get Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott's perspective. We're going to do a special on it, uh, at which time I'm going to bring you what they had to say about that, uh, that tumultuous time in our past, our original sin of slavery, and how uh, the abolitionist movement and the war that happened helped bring America forward. But wasn't without some hiccups. You saw Brett Baer's book and talked about the Reconstruction and how Ulysses S. Grant saved the day. Well, Grant, Lincoln, and Douglas saved our country. But here's Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham uh, talking on this holiday about America through their perspective. In the book, in the story, are the quotes. Not my opinion of what they thought, but what they actually thought. So Graham and Scott, face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder, talking about America's history from each of their unique perspective. South Carolina, the first state to secede in 1860. What is it like having a country that said you weren't a citizen? What is it like having a country that your ancestors couldn't vote? Uh, They had no say. They were brought from other countries. When you talk to other African-Americans, Americans... Yes. Do they? Do you see? Do you understand the anger that they have? Even though it was generations back, do you have that same? Certainly, I can understand it personally. I mean, there's there are always times when you're angry about injustice, and we should all it should stir the soul of all of us. Injustice. When you look back at the atrocities and the challenges, think about rape. Think about all the challenges, the uh, dismembering of soldiers and and folks who would run away. You just think about the treatment of a human being. How can you not be frustrated about that past? We should be. We should make sure that we harness that frustration and make sure it's a constructive today as possible because the goal isn't to make America better for me and for you. The goal should be to make America better for the generation that follows us. Part of the sacrifice of the current day is the ability to see behind you, to look not back in history, but to look at the generations coming behind you. How are you preparing this country for the next generation? I will say that my grandfather paid a heavy price having to look down and step off of a sidewalk if a white person was coming. Uh, The the humiliation and the anger that could have mounted up in him and been toxic, he didn't pass it down to my mother and she didn't have it to pass it down to me. And so while I understand the pain, the misery and the frustration and, and frankly even some of the stuff that still happens today, what I have to remember is we have made progress. 
decade after decade after decade undeniable progress and to be here today as the first African-American elected to the United States Senate and the United States House in the history of this country, having beaten Strom Thurmond's son for Congress in the birthplace of the Civil War, we don't have to look for progress. I see it every day in the mirror. But what I don't see is my face. What I do see is that people of good intent who don't look like me said that the content of the character is actually more important than the color of the skin. Today, what others want you to believe is that the look of a man is how we judge the person. Antithetical and contrary to the last couple hundred years of history that we fought for. We fought for the content of the character. And here in Charleston, right, beginning of the Civil War, 180, de- 180 degrees turn. And I'm thankful to live in a place where I have to earn the right to represent people right. of this great state. But if you earn it, you get it no matter whether you're a poor kid from a single-parent household running against the biggest names in the history of South Carolina. Senator, when you're hearing Senator Scott talk about walk, clear off the sidewalk, a white person's coming, yeah. get to the back of the bus, you're black, uh, don't use that water fountain, use this water fountain, don't use this bathroom, use that bathroom. And those signs exist in civil rights museums. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure they're not forgotten. How does that make you feel? Well, number one, I lived through this. This is not ancient history. I didn't go to school with a black person until I was in the fifth or sixth grade. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad owned a bar in central South Carolina near, near Clemson. Uh, black people couldn't drink until late into the 70s. So this is in my lifetime. This is in Tim's lifetime. I'm 10 years older, but this is not ancient history. It's not that long ago that in South Carolina, black kids and white kids didn't go to the same school. Yeah. So what's happened in the last, since 1965? 50 years. Things are better, and I think the biggest thing that's changed my state is, in many ways, sports. When you play on a team, you begin to quickly judge who's the most talented, and you want to win, and you don't care. You don't care who's the quarterback as long as they're the best quarterback. So integration of public schools has changed everything. It's the biggest agent of change in my lifetime because it forces you to get to know the people as individuals. And I can't remember seeing a black person in a position of authority until I got in high school where we had teachers. Mm. It's one thing to grow up where everybody in authority looks exactly like you. It was an amazing experience to go in the military where authority was not based on how you look, it's sort of your ability, and we're not perfect in the military. So I would say this about South Carolina. Uh, We have got our fair share of blame, and we've created uh, our fair share of problems for ourselves and the nation. But I think we're on the right track, and the best evidence of how well we're doing as a state is this man right here. What what Lindsay just talked about, I think, is really important is meritocracy. And and that's what I was trying to say earlier. If you earn it, you get it. Uh, In sports, having played a little football in high school and college, you you don't want nobody cares. You don't want socialism on your football team. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You want absolutely. It's a free enterprise, free market where the views that are blocking for you are the best you can find. That's right. And the same is true in our military. My brothers both served. One's a command sergeant major in the army, 32 years. The other one went to the Air Force Academy, 26 years, colonel in the Air Force. The one thing I listened to my brothers talk about is not the the black kid or the white kid. It's it's the person who was the leader. We had respect Absolutely. for leadership because they earned it. And the, that's the beauty of our system yeah. is if you earn it, you get it. That's what we have to protect. 
If we are to understand American exceptionalism, we have to understand the free market. We have to understand meritocracy. We have to understand that our nation is always pushed in the direction that the individual is able to keep what they earn. That is an unusual story around the world, even today. And why we don't talk more about the importance of that one ingredient right. that makes us special, I don't understand it. So I hope you're enjoying Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham looking back at America through their eyes in South Carolina overlooking Fort Sumter at a time in which there's a huge plaque for the 54th Infantry Regiment, all-black unit, fought in the Civil War, and then, of course, a statue of Civil War, uh, uh, Civil War soldiers and where we're going for here. Looking at America's past is not to bury it, is to understand it, put ourselves in those times. That's why I thought Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham never saying were their historians. But I wanted to find out in South Carolina what it was like going to history class, social studies class, separate schools, kind of a segregated South at the time unofficially. But in Lindsey Graham's case, he, uh, you know, his uh, parents were not well off, uh, kind of a poor existence. Tim Scott, beyond po- impoverished, divorce situation, was with his grandfather and grandmother living in a really rundown area that I had a chance to see. So I hope you ha- had a perspective now of South Carolina then, where our country was then, but how it looked through the eyes of a black man and white man who came from nowhere and end up with one of the most successful political careers in our country. I mean, one of a hundred people and one of a very small number to represent South Carolina. Two people couldn't be more different, but couldn't have more mutual respect for each other, whose eyes and ears and perspective I truly wanted to get for you guys out there to better understand America the way it was as I tried to, re, uh, I guess, bring back up the President Freedom Fighter, those times with Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, uh, and their battle to save America's soul. On to BrianKillMe.com. You can find out where I will be at any time as we continue this book tour uh, through the holidays. Uh, Keep it here as we come to you from Hollywood, Florida, Hard Rock Hotel, the site of the Patriot Awards, only on Fox News Channel. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Now, I normally say we're coming from New York, but we're heard in New York this hour, WRCN, WLIR, and, of course, WABC. But we're actually on the road in beautiful Hollywood, Florida, at the Patriots Award, where Pete Hegseth will be hosting. And uh, you'll see all your favorite Fox personalities in and around this event, which is like no other, because it's really about the heroes in our country not about some celebrities. We're going to hear from Pete in a moment about that because there's a lot going on. At the bottom of the hour, one of our newest Fox members, Clay Travis, does about 20 things. He's on OutKick, but Fox bought it. So now he's doing on the uh, college football tour, which is fantastic. And he's got a show where he and uh, Buck Sexton have taken over for Rush Limbaugh. So he's going to be joining us, and that's going to be great. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The people who were protesting against what Rittenhouse did, do they do they think that he will be convicted just when they were talking to you? Uh, frankly, they, they don't. And part of this is pushing that. They think that they want to push uh, and pressure the jury or pressure the court to hold Kyle Rittenhouse accountable, accountable in, the, in their words. Yeah, they're trying to intimidate the jury. Day two of the jury deliberations in Kyle Rittenhouse's case. Already just uh, intimidation seems to be a factor. I'll talk to Will about that, who's a lawyer. It's scary for Rittenhouse, and it's scary for the country. 
Number two. How many children have been in those cages? Uh, uh, Senator, I can uh, uh, provide to you the following uh, figure that um, when, and let me, let me say, that when a child... I, I don't... I, I, it's a simple question. How many children have been in those cages? Uh, I, I respectfully am not familiar with the term cages. Well, you should be. He provided video. He provided stills because he took the pictures. They're in cages. Train wreck. That's how I describe Secretary Mayorkas' appearance in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday as he tries to justify a wide-open southern border in the middle of a global pandemic. We'll discuss it. Number one. There has been uh, wide agreement on the part of everyone involved, moderates, liberals, etc., that CBO does not have experience analyzing revenue amounts gained from cracking down on wealthy tax cheats who are taking advantage of every honest taxpayer. Yes, the CBO can't figure that out. The economy wearing away as consumer confidence and inflation is wearing away at family budgets. And uh, Joe Biden continues to push his partisan spending palooza, which is likely to have a possible disastrous CBO score. Only Joe Manchin can save the country. So Pete Hex says to my immediate right. Uh, to my immediate left is Will Kane. We are streaming this show on Fox Nation. And tonight is all about Fox Nation. Guys, welcome. Thank you. Thanks Glad for to be us. here. Fresh off a successful diner appearance, maybe Will Kane, your success, most successful ever I in terms of passion. Yeah, I wouldn't really limit it to my most successful diner of all time. I mean, I was told, and I, I'm just here to report the news, Pete, that it might have <laughs> been the best diner ever. I mean, I don't know. Who said this? People are saying it. Just general people? Pe- people are saying Some it. people said something. Pete, how many diners have you done? Uh, I, hundreds. Some people have said some things. <laughs> uh, you've done hundreds. And are you going to give – is Will just going to go with his people? The, some people have reviewed the best diner ever. I'm just saying people are talking. Sources. People are talking. There's a buzz. Yeah. Okay. People's I mean, it was good. It was good. I'll have to check the right. tape. <laughs> so you're going to look back at all your diner appearances? Absolutely. Everyone. I do that every time. I watch right. them meticulously and I rate them. And you'll them. start again. I know you do. Yep. And, and you, you rate them. Fantastic. He was, I was really me good making today. fun of my outfit the whole time. I know that. Which is unprofessional. It is. <laughs> Very unprofessional. You have a job to do. That's right. I am sorry about him. That's right. Thank you. Pete, uh, before we get into the news, tonight is going to be a big night. It is. You killed it two years ago. Last year was virtual. But what makes the Patriot Awards different that brings us here to the Hard Rock in uh, Hollywood, California? You know, it, it's, it's, these are real heroes who deserve to be recognized. Right. And we're, we're awash in a society where we hold up vapid, self-serving causes and, and, and celebrities and actors. And they have these fancy award shows whose ratings are now terrible because people are reading into what it's really about. And you juxtapose that with what we're going to be in, see in that theater tonight. It's, it's real Americans, real heroes who do the dirty work every single day on our behalf. They never expect the spotlight. And we're going to give it to them. And I think that's what America's looking for right now. You heard it this morning, Will, at the diner. Something positive to connect to. Something real. And, and I think you're going to see it tonight. Uh, the, the producers, everybody that put it together have done a great job. Uh, right. It's going to be a great You can't night. give away because part of this thing is the surprises. But you'll see military. You'll see first responders. You'll see people like Scott Mann. Yep. Scott Mann who says, okay, I already served the country in the Green Beret. I'm in the private sector. But we pulled out of Afghanistan in the most irresponsible move that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Uh, and we have still have hundreds of people. He says tens of thousands of people still there that deserve to get out. And he puts together a group, this pineapple, Operation Pineapple, that's getting people out right now. Exactly the kind of thing the Patriot Wards is meant to spotlight. You're exactly right, Pete. I think about when we were kids. I cared 
I don't know if you cared. I feel like we all cared about the Oscars, maybe about the Grammys. My parents did. It's true. Yeah. It was on every year. We would watch this big spectacle. Let's watch the red carpet. Let's see the big celebrities. And over the last decade, I've lost total interest in that because it is a self-congratulatory pat on the back over other celebrity status. And this, as you point out, is not just about positivity, which I did hear all morning long. I think people everywhere are stri- uh, uh, starving, Brian. They're, they're, they're thirsty for something to gravitate towards, a positive set of values, a positive vision of America. And it's not just uh, that tonight. It is that, but it's also specifically a celebration of the kind of people you just pointed out. So I've been on this book tour for two weeks. I've probably, uh, Allison's here, probably been seven, probably seven events from Albany, New York, to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, to Vero Beach last night. Uh, where else have we been? Uh, been to uh, Connecticut, Madison, Connecticut. I've been to Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And people are worried, but that off-year election really put a bounce in people's step because you know what they're doing? America's self-correcting again. Mm. There's not being snowed by the CNNs, the MSNBC, the ABC, the CBS, uh, and the NBC. And they're saying, wait, I don't care what you just told me. This guy doesn't have his act together. His staff is terrible. His chief of staff is awful. He's telling us things are fine, but I have, I'm able to buy less. I leave with less groceries, and I'm paying more. I'm paying double for gas. I'm paying double for, uh, for heating oil or gas. And I come from a family that lived paycheck to paycheck. I knew where every dollar was going. I, I used to watch my dad balance the checkbook at the counter and watch him go into the negative and be like, hey, I know we're getting a check here in a couple of days, but we're not spending anything for a couple of days. Like and including lunch. Yeah, what, what's, in the school, cupboard, yeah. what's in the cupboard is what we're – and we weren't, you know, we weren't rich. We weren't poor. We were right squarely middle class. You're on a budget. Paycheck to paycheck on a budget. It's a real thing. But to, to your point, I think this is a massive – uh, this is the culmination of a media exposure. Trump was a huge part of it when he started talking about fake news. But I, I, I was at a diner recently. Someone gave me a book. Uh, it, it was, was good. Biased. It wasn't as good as this morning. But I, I saw it wasn't that as good. It, it was, was decent. Good. It, was it was decent. It was good. Don't hate on South Jersey. Say this. South Jersey. One of delivered. the best diners I did. One of. One of, one of the one best of. you did. One of. There was a buzz. Yeah. Uh, there was a buzz. <laughs> some but, people said something. But so if somebody came in and gave me a, a book, Bias. You know Bernie Goldberg? He wrote a book. Sure. He was at uh, CBS. And I, 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 it's, you know. 30 years old. I picked it up and read it on the plane on the way back. And he was a network guy. He was a network guy. And there was real bias back then, Dan Rather time. It's gone from, and Will, you point this out on the show all the time, it's gone from bias to agenda. Mm. It's been completely revealed. There's an alternate source to get the real facts. And I think this trial playing out on our TV, when you consider the narrative that was told versus the facts that people would see in the courtroom, and then the way in which other networks cut away from the prosecution or away from the defense so at certain times, it's rigged in front of your eyes. So say what it, you hear what happened on MSNBC, what they did. What? After the prosecution spoke, they cut away, and they did not no, let the I defense. No, I didn't hear that. I must have been on a plane yesterday when that occurred. I do know that YouTube was taking down the live stream of the entire unedited raw footage of the <laughs> trial because you're not allowed to see the facts. You're only allowed to see someone else's recharacterization yeah. of it. Real quick, Brian, to what you said about that self-correcting mechanism, I hope you're right. You know, I want to be an optimist. I definitely don't want to be a pessimist. I think realist is a good place to start, a steely-eyed view of the future. And I think you're right. There will be some There'll be some self-corrective mechanism at the voting booth. But I think there is a long, hard slog of a fight on the cultural level to ensure that our education system, our pop culture, sports are also going through a self-corrective mechanism that that, that re- 
identifies American values. And, and I want to say this, and he complimented me a moment ago, and I'm, I promise you, I don't, I don't give gratuitous compliments. I don't tell your dog's pretty unless it's a good-looking dog. Um, this tonight, the Patriot Awards, is a great self-corrective mechanism for our culture, and it's hosted by the perfect person mm-hmm. to do that. He's awesome. He represents the way this American culture should be embodied, and he'll be the perfect MC for this night. Right, and I think, uh, yeah, and we'll have the other Fox people sprinkled in. And, Pete, you've already done it. You've already done the heart part. The first time, the first one ever, you're hosting an award show. You look totally in your element. Uh, hey, and he wants to be a stand-up. Did you know he wants to be a stand-up comedian? When's he going to start? Tonight, I'll, I'll bet you. Are you be honest? Are you going to do any stand up tonight? I, no, but you know I'm chasing a laugh or two. I mean, there's yeah, a, yeah a, you are going somewhere here. Writers? There, you got to. Do you try. have writers? No, I'm I am my own writer. You're, so any joke we hear tonight, you wrote. Yes, oh, a thousand percent. So much pressure. But I don't. I, I, I'm now. I got to play it down. I'm not a comedian. I just want to be one. Okay. A couple okay. of things are going on here. Okay. Should we tell him what? If he starts spinning off on his own. Uh-huh. He's not going to have to deal with a work problem. He's going to have to deal with a home problem. <laughs> because <laughs> Jennifer Hegseth is producing this whole event. So when you go, hey, uh, hey, honey, what did you think when I went off the prompter and just kind of ate up three minutes? I just felt good out there. <laughs> That's not going to be good at dinner. It would right? not go well. No, I, just, go I was just with her, just made a few edits to the script, and I showed it to her. I said, hey, hey what do you think? She's like, I, I don't think so. Right. I've heard that. Because like, she used I... to be our producer of Fox and Friends. I've gotten that. Mm, I don't think so. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you know the a little bit of you doing stand-up comedy, I feel like you want to bomb a little bit. Like you're, <laughs> you're, you're looking for the bomb. I don't think you're simply looking for and a laugh. I think you kind of, in a, like a sadistic way, want the bomb. Can I say this? It's not wrong. <laughs> right. It's not wrong. I think it'll come to him. I don't think he has to force it. I think it'll just happen. Right? <laughs> Minimal I, comedy tonight. Right. Minimal. Just no, but you can feel But here. the audience loves you. There's nothing you could say that they will not enjoy. It's going to be a home team. Right. It's definitely a home. You'll play in front of your home fans, and you already won. Yes. Right? Because a lot of times home fans can be your worst. Yeah, because, right? True. I mean, play, play for the Jets. True. If I throw a couple interceptions early. Right. right. I call him for the backup quarterback. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to be waiting in the wings. Like, <laughs> right. ready? Yeah. They start, in, coach. I believe they start booing the Jet games on the first snap. <laughs> right? They just start, even though it's a home game. So... I, I really want to get into this. I really want to get into this spending situation. So the CBO is about to come out with their look yeah. at the, which will probably be $1.8 trillion partisan for human infrastructure deal. Total uh, an agenda item. Nothing to do with this country. It has everything to do with the far left. And I think they would even tell you that. So now when the CBO comes out, that's, if it comes out and it scores – 1.75 paid for, 1.75 expending, even though the numbers probably in practical terms won't land up. That'll be a springboard for the moderates to jump on board, and it'll give cover for Joe Manchin to do it. So listen to this. Andrew Bates, who is a deputy press secretary, is priming the pump. Cut to. There has been uh, wide agreement on the part of everyone involved, moderates, liberals, etc., that CBO does not have experience analyzing revenue amounts gained from cracking down on wealthy tax cheats who are taking advantage of every honest taxpayer. So part of it is weaponizing the IRS to go after people and and destroy them. And they think that rich people are not paying anything. So they go, the CBO doesn't know how to score that. I want you to hear what the CBO says. There's people at CBO who have been at Treasury and and vice versa. So it's something that we're we're very familiar with. Um, and, um, and, and have a, a, a pretty well-established methodology. They know how to do it. It's a joke. So if this comes out and it says 2.7 costs, uh, excuse me, yeah, it's going to cost the economy $2.75 uh, trillion, 
and they're spending 1.7 or vice versa, and this doesn't go, what are they going to do? They're just going to say CBO doesn't know what they're doing? They're going to try. You know, I, when I wake up in the morning, I turn on Fox Friends to see what Brian Kilmeade says on a subject, and I often reflect that. I heard what you said this morning, and it's, it, you're right. They were all, all four CBO scores uh, before when Trump, was, when Trump was in. Now that now that it may cut against them, they're trying to game this. They're trying to set the terms of the debate before the bad CBO score comes out. And I, CBO scoring is terrible. The way they do it, it's not dynamic scoring. It, it's it is actually uh, terrible. But I think it hurts them. How do you keep the moderates on board? How does Manchin sign off on a deal like that? And what's fascinating about Manchin Cinema is even if you can supposedly balance it to your point, have it paid for, well, that doesn't answer the problems that we're dealing with when it comes to inflation. You shove a bunch of money into the economy, you're still going to cause a more hyperinflationary environment. And I would be surprised, and Brian, I think you're much more attuned to the inner workings of Washington, D.C. or what's happening between the parties. I'm just going to be surprised that you get any Republicans on board and, and, the, moderate, Zero. and, Zero. The, and the moderate Democrats on board for something that just feeds this. They inflation. could only lose. It'll probably pass through the House. They could only lose four. I'm, if I'm if I'm Josh Gottheimer, or I'm a moderate concerned about my seat. I do not fall on the sword for Nancy Pelosi, who's going to be retiring anyway, or for a president that now, according to the Axios poll, they just had morning console poll. Over 50 percent of the country do not think that he is up for the job. The only calculation they can be making with this bill is that they find a way to pass it. They know they're going to get creamed in 2022. They believe the programs will eventually become popular and that they can run for preserving them in 2024 and 2026 and dare the Republicans to try to take them away, pushing granny off the cliff. That's their cynical political play. Got to do it now. We know we're going to take the downside. We know no one's going to feel the effects of this in the near term, just like the infrastructure bill. Except for Gottheimer and those that would lose their seats in the meantime. That's fine for the national leadership. But those Democrats that have to run in the next two and four years, they're the ones that would pay the price. And by the way, remember Obamacare. They he lost 63 seats in the House after he jammed Obamacare down our throats, and most of it was blank pages. They haven't even filled it out yet. So, and Nancy Pelosi deserves full credit for that because even though Scott Brown won, she was able to do something retro, which I still can't quite understand how they passed it. Yes. But when John McCain came out and gave thumbs down, that was a big fail. I wonder if Joe Manchin's going to do the same thing to for the Democrats. When we come back, more of Pete Hegseth uh, from Hollywood, Florida at the Hard Rock. He's going to be talking about what he's, his opening's going to be, maybe a few jokes he's going to try out on Will. <laughs> Will's going to stick around, too. And then we're going to go to Clay Travis to try to explain what Pete and Will just told us. <laughs> Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you believe uh, that the Biden immigration policies are successful? Uh, Senator, I, uh, I think rebuilding a broken immigration system and rebuilding a dismantled one takes time and we're on the road to success. So you think we're on the right track as a nation? I do. Oh. Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas just embarrassed himself, his party, and anybody paying attention. Pete Hegseth, uh, Will Kane, before you go, I want you to weigh in on this. Did you watch any of that embarrassing display yesterday or heard some of it, Pete? I did. And, you know, when you look into the camera as the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security and say the border is closed, I mean, you, you, you have to know that you're lying. You have to. And, right. and you have to must feel like you have to do that because any other state would be would be an admission of what's obvious. And so far, you're, you, you've been living in the alternate universe, the alternate universe where our border policy was dysfunctional. 
under Donald Trump. The only thing dysfunctional about the border policy under Donald Trump from the view of this White House is that it was Donald Trump that put it in place. Yeah, and That's they, it. they don't like the way he did it. Will, they say it to Senator uh, Blackburn just said this is all intentional. Are you subscribing to that yet? Democrats want this yes. chaos? Yes. This is, a beyond, this is beyond a rational level of incompetence. It has to be by design. You know, it's interesting. At the diner this morning, I had a, one particular diner come and said, we just need people to stand up and, and fill in the gap. State governments, Texas, California, citizens, we need people to fill in the gaps. Pete Hegseth, yes or no? Is he going to do good tonight at the Patriot Awards? I want to make fun of him, but I know I hear the music. We're almost done. He's going to knock it out of the park. He's Pete, knock do it you predict you're going to be successful? Uh, I don't make <laughs> predictions. I, I predict. How many jokes? Go. Over I under. Did. How many jokes? Half a dozen? Three. Maybe. Thanks, Ramp Pete. it up. <laughs> If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm here because um, this is going totally wrong. It is a show and the whole nation media is calling it a show. It's racist. It's biased. There should be a mistrial. Without our voices, I, I just feel like we need to show them that we're not playing and we're here and we are listening. We're watching. And yeah, I'm here to stand up for what's right. And I believe that he should do time for what he did. I'm here um, to support the calls for Kyle to go to prison for a very long time. Those are the Kenosha protesters outside the courtroom, and by all reports, they could hear, be heard by the jury, who now has starting day two of deliberations on the Kyle uh, Rittenhouse trial. With me right now is Clay Travis. Clay is all over this. You know, he hosts a great show with uh, Buck Sexton coming up at noon. Clay is also uh, the founder of OutKick. And now he's a member of the Fox family, so he also has got a you got a college uh, yes. football tour every weekend. You're the busiest guy around, but yet you had time to swim today. Well, we're in the hotel here in Fort Lauderdale right. for the Patriot Awards, and I did the show with you this morning, Fox and Friends, and I got done, went back up, wrote some on the OutKick website, and then I thought to myself, what's the point of being in Fort Lauderdale? It's beautiful weather outside. If I don't at least go outside and sit by the pool for 30 minutes. So I'm in uh, a swimsuit and a T-shirt right now uh, because otherwise we might as well be in Minneapolis right now, right? So you're in Florida. I feel like you have to take advantage of the beautiful weather a little bit. So I at least got 30 minutes of pool time in. It's a nice pool here at the Hard Rock. And uh, I'm about to hop in a car and head to uh, my South Florida affiliate for the Clay and Buck show to uh, to do our show from uh, – from Miami for the next couple of but days. But we're the show that got to reveal your legs. <laughs> That's right? true. I mean, because we're streaming on right Fox now. Nation. You know, I'm fairly confident in my legs. You know, that I don't have a lot of good. Fairly confident. I don't have a lot of good physical assets, let's be honest here. Uh, but uh, but my legs are probably one of my strong points. So I'm not nervous about, uh, you know, look, sex sells. And if I have to show up in a swimsuit for your show. Which is helping my yeah, show. Yeah, that's what I'm well, saying. Again, I'll, I'll do whatever I can. It's I'm amazing. You'll help family, my show you rather yes. than yours. You yes. won't wear shorts on your show no, because you, have, don't want, you don't want cheap ratings. No, I'll have, I'll have shorts on for my show. I, I do my show, uh, you know, so we have a couple of studios. But we're not on video a lot. So I am a T-shirt and shorts guy. Really? Uh, yeah, like pretty much everywhere I go, um, I, I would prefer to be in T-shirt and shorts every day. So uh, that's good to know. Yeah, Clay Travis. There you go. Can you shut that away. down, Allison? When okay, I was good. a lawyer, you know, uh, to transition into the Rittenhouse stuff, I would have – I represented a lot of different criminal defendants. But it's one of the interesting things about that was you had, in case you got called into court, your suit hanging on the back of the door inside of the office. But – Otherwise, you want to be somewhat comfortable, right, instead of sitting around working all day in a suit. So uh, I'm fascinated all the time by these criminal procedure cases. I've watched a ton of it, 
And uh, look, I've represented murderers. Uh, I've represented uh, domestic uh, domestic abusers, drug dealers. I've done uh, a lot of criminal law back in my day as a uh, as a lawyer. Clay Travis, as a lawyer, would you be worried if you were the defense attorney that maybe the jury is going to be intimidated by the protesters on the outside? Yes, I would be. What do um, you do? I mean, number one, they 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 could have stopped this. They could have sequestered this. Uh, they, they should. I, I think. I think in retrospect, that's probably what they're going to say they should have done. Now, I, I think this is. It's almost impossible to argue that anyone could escape the cacophony of media coverage surrounding this. But when you are in the jury here, and this is not an OJ trial that took over a year, you could have sequestered this jury for ten or fourteen days and help to pull them out of worrying about the impact of their verdict, right? In an impartial judicial system, a juror would not be concerned how people are going to respond to the choices that they make. We don't have that right now. I would be stunned if every juror in the back of their mind isn't thinking, okay, if we let Kyle Rittenhouse off on these charges, if we find him not guilty, is our community going to burn? I I don't think there's any way that that is not having an impact in some form or facet in every juror's mind. Wow, that's uh, that's discouraging, to be honest. Yeah, As a no, non-lawyer, I, I worried about it, and I was hoping that the professionals would say don't. Meanwhile, Alan Dershowitz said this other thing to look at. Why could there could be this delay? And he says the instructions the judge gave the jury, cut 23. Look, there were two trials here. The prosecution put on a trial of Rittenhouse's day. Should he have been there? Was he a medic? Uh, should he have a gun? The defense defended against a very different charge. That is, in the three minutes where he was being threatened with a skateboard and being threatened with a gun, did he have the right to shoot? Now, what if the jury believes both? What if the jury believes he shouldn't have been there, he wasn't a hero, but he acted properly when he was threatened for his life? The judge didn't tell them how to decide that case. And the juror and the prosecutor misled them into thinking that if he brought a gun, he waives his right of self-defense. That's reversible error on appeal. The problem is the defense didn't object. They allowed the prosecution to go on and make these phony, misleading arguments without objection. So it will be a problem for the defense if there is a conviction. And he went on to say that he said he's been teaching law school for 40 years, and he said those instructions that the judge gave the jury confused him. Well, I think that's well said, and and I think it's often the case uh, because I'll use as an example. I got my iPhone here. I've agreed to the user agreement in order to be using the iPhone, right? If I read the user agreement, I would have no idea what was actually being said in that user agreement. Purposefully. Right, because the lawyers have created such a mess. And and I think Dershowitz hit what we've been talking about on the Clay and Buck show, too, is there is a distinction between whether he should have been there or not. A lot of people want to get caught up on that. I've got three boys. I don't want them out protesting anything, given how violent it can be, particularly if they're young. But once he's there, he has the right to defend himself when he is attacked. So really, you know, I think about it from a parent perspective, I don't want him to be there. Yeah. But he doesn't give up his right to self-defense because he made the choice to be there. And I think many people are going to get hung up, jurors and others, on the question of whether or not he should have been there as opposed to whether or not he had the right to self-defense. The case really 
is all about. It's a straightforward self-defense claim. We know what happened. And we got the, the question, video. We got the video of it, which I think helps him. And the question is, was his response justified? To me, the answer is 100% yes. I think beyond a reasonable doubt, he uh, has established that he had the right to self-defense. If I were on this jury, I would find him not guilty of all of these charges. But I've got a legal training and background. The 12 jurors don't. don't. And I believe generally in the collective wisdom of 12 jurors. But, Brian, every now and then, you get an absolutely awful collection of jurors who reached the wrong result, as any group of 12 people could. Right. And so that is the challenge that is at play here. And if you've got jurors that are additionally worried about applying self-defense standards and then worried about their own lives, you know, are their uh, names and, uh, and, and details about them going to go out publicly? Are people going to protest them? Remember, they were taping them, in? leaving the, yes. the, the courthouse. Which is a, a flagrant, um, you know, to me, a flagrant violation of their, uh, of their right to be impartial jurors. Right. It's clear what that intimidation is designed to do. So, uh, Clay Travis here. Clay, the other area which to discuss is uh, what's going on with Enos Cantor, you know, a, a standout center but not a superstar with the Boston Celtics. He's well-traveled. I think he was out with, um, uh, he was out with Sacramento. Yes. I think he was uh, with the Knicks for a long time. He is uh, an impact player, doesn't play much defense, plays a lot of offense, and certainly a force, and he's certainly aggressive. Ever since he started protesting, his minutes are diminished, and he's indicating now through Twitter, you're not going to silence me by benching me. Yes. But I want you to hear what he says. He does not want to come on any network. He doesn't want anyone to think he is playing politics but his problem is with china his problem is with genocide his problem is is harvesting the organs of muslims just because they're muslims in china and the so-called Uyghur sect and with nike who are subscribing to it and maybe using some of that material uh to make their sneakers and apparel which is unthinkable here's enos Cantor explaining what he's doing by protesting china uh what he says and on his shoes Nike obviously is the one of the biggest, the biggest sponsor for NBA. Nike was one of the first company out there was standing with Black Lives Matter. But when it comes to China, Nike remains silent because they, China is the big boss for Nike. And I mean, obviously, they are not going to be able to answer because they know what they're doing wrong. They're the one of the biggest, you know, hypocrite, uh, hypocrite company. So he goes on. This is courageous because Nike fuels the NBA. Nike says we are a Chinese company. We're a China first company. And he's taking them on. What has surprised you most about this? And does he have a point about being benched, knowing that he's not LeBron, where he's invaluable? So first, that a player has been willing to speak out has surprised me because I've been wanting for this to happen if players are going to be active and everybody wants to compare themselves to Muhammad Ali. You have to take stands on things that matter in a big way that don't directly benefit you. And that's what Enos Kanter is doing. And by the way, Muhammad Ali, three and a half years, yes. loses his heavyweight title when he protested right. the Vietnam War. And at the time that he protested the Vietnam War, that was at best a 50-50 issue. In retrospect, people say, of course. But at that point in time, we're only 20-some-odd years after World War II. The idea that you would oppose a war and not agree to go serve when you were drafted – was a revolutionary uh, and aggressive and, frankly, very divisive opinion to have, right? If you look at what 
Enos Cantor is doing, and I've said this about LeBron, if you truly wanted to be a modern-day Muhammad Ali, you would speak out and say everyone around the world deserves basic human rights, even if that hits you in the pocketbook, because that's what Muhammad Ali did. So, you're, I mean, I'm, I am surprised not one other person yes. sees they should stand up in the league. And remember what Enos Cantor's background is. I think that's he, very He was important. critical of Turkey, and they now put his family on house arrest. Yes. And they checked all their electronics. They said, you are not allowed to talk to uh, Enos. If you do, then we will arrest you immediately and put you in jail. So he cannot text. He cannot call. They check his computers. So his family's being tortured because, because Enos Cantor is being very justifiably critical of Erdogan, who leads Turkey. And they say if he leaves this country, they would have his, hit, his goons go after him. Yeah, and I think that's a significant part of why Enos Cantor is speaking out. Because, as you well know, many of the people who most value American liberties and freedoms are people who have lived without those liberties and freedoms in other countries. Very often, Americans take for granted every day how much we have in terms of freedom and opportunity here. The people who come in and have experienced true totalitarianism, true authoritarianism, who have seen the lack of basic human rights, are frequently the ones who argue most prominently in favor of American exceptionalism. And I don't think it's a surprise that Enos Cantor, given what his family has experienced in Turkey, would be offended right. and upset by the way that the NBA is responding to China. And right now the Celtics have been pulled out of China, so you can't see a can't Celtic see their game. Games. Yeah. And you can't see the Rocket games, I don't think, Still. either. Still. So he's costing people money, and I'm just wondering if he cuts them, is there going to be any outrage besides you and I and Fox? Because yeah. we're all going to be upset. But is anyone else going to be upset? ESPN, did they bring that up? No, they want, well, ESPN's in bed with the NBA and with China, right? Uh, there's so much money. This is the unholy alliance that exists, for instance, between ESPN and the NBA. If they tear down the NBA in any way and hold them accountable, they're basically destroying their television rights package. So, you know, you got the, biz, the unholy alliance to me of ESPN in many ways is representative of their business side right. and also their editorial side. You can't tell me that business isn't leaning on editorial and saying, hey, let's soft play this story and not give it as much attention as maybe it deserves. Certainly. That's on OutKick today, right? Oh, yeah. We're going to cover this aggressively uh, at OutKick um, because I, I really do believe right. that there needs to be more support for Enos Cantor in the league, and uh, and I hope and still hope that some other players might speak out in favor of him as well. You're on your college tour as yes. well. You're going to? Oxford, Mississippi, Ole Miss this weekend. Uh, for uh, And then next weekend we'll be at Auburn for the Iron Bowl between Alabama and uh, Auburn. Do we see this stream? Do we see this on social media? Yeah, we... so I'm on Big Noon Kickoff, which is from 10 to noon Eastern on the Big Fox Network. Brady Quinn, Matt, uh, Matt Leiner, uh, Reggie Bush, Rob Stone, and Bob Stoops are in a studio typically in L.A. I am in the South uh-huh. going to big games. So that will be 10 to noon. And then we stream an OutKick pregame tailgate show. Uh, that everybody can check out at OutKick.com. So you have uh, multiple streams of revenue flying into your bank account. How do you uh, it's, keep not, it? hey, it's not me anymore. It's flying into Fox's bank account, right? <laughs> oh, they, bought, they bought OutKick. Uh, so uh, so they, uh, they, get, uh, they get the benefit of, uh, of, you. of the business now. Yes. Lastly, have you seen an impact yet of the ability of these college players to generate marketing dollars? I hear Nebraska is the most organized. Yeah. They're trying to give these kids packages to get them here. Can you give us an idea how this is going? Yeah, it's fascinating to watch. I mean, first of all, most guys aren't making very much money, and girls, because there's a relatively, you know, the hierarchy of value 
is such that the average person is just making a couple hundred dollars. It's not some sort of massive impact. But there are some players who are making millions of dollars, and most of those people who are making uh, incredible amounts of money have big social media followings so they can, on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram, so they can direct their audience to their product partnership. So tell me if this works right. I'm Travis Lawrence, and I'm, I'm sought after by every major school, and obviously one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. That's how it turned out. Yeah. Do I think of, so I'm a college senior, high school senior. Do I say, okay, Oklahoma, what do you offer me? Well, I got this dealership deal. Well, we have another thing with, uh, with Dick Sporting Goods yeah. we could work out. Do I offer – is that in my offer? You're not, you're not allowed – the school isn't, for somebody like Trevor Lawrence, allowed to make that a part of the scholarship offer. But you can look at what students have been capable of getting there. And but they I can't can wink, walk wink, to Dick Sporting Goods nudge. and say, I want you to meet a graduate well, it's, from it's, University it's, of Oklahoma. It's an, it's That's an where it's going, point. right? I think you can look at what the guys are making and forecast it. But what I would say for somebody like Trevor Lawrence is – Whatever you make in college is a pinprick. You're going to make hundreds of yeah. millions of dollars if you're great. Go wherever you can develop into the best player. Wait, money will follow. And we always pick the nicest bookstore. That's yeah, yeah, right, right, right. We'll listen to you today at noon. Yes. Clay, congratulations on all your success. Hey, same to you. You're killing it. Look forward to this event later tonight. Back in a moment. So we got Al and Phil Robertson coming to you. We're talking about hair today, and we've held up pretty well in the hair category. No doubt about it. I mean, you're 75, Dad. You still got most of yours. Sure. Uh, I'm losing a little bit of mine, but not too bad. And when you're known for that, you know, it's kind of great if you can keep it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of guys out there that begin to lose their hair early. I mean, we know young guys that are you know completely bald, and they're much younger than you and I. Yep. Here's what you do if you're starting. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, I think we can look at the backlash to the 1619 Project, mm -hmm. uh, the, the backlash to the propaganda campaign against critical race theory, mm -hmm. and see that we are a country that has willfully, willfully um, denied this history, that has not wanted to teach it and own up to the fact that slavery is one of the oldest institutions in America. And so much of the wealth of our country was built on enslavement, uh -huh. so much of our political, legal, cultural systems. But we have been in denial about that. And that's why you see such a strong reaction to this work. Well, the strong reaction, because a lot of it's inaccurate, it's as if you you take the worst part, America's original sin, and you make it part of every single thing that you write about, and you find race in every institution in America. That's Nicole Hannah-Jones trying to publicize a new book called The 1619 Project, A New Origin Story, because she wants to write America as beginning in 1619. And that's part of the reason why I think our crowds are so big. People like the pushback. I have the, the book that I have out now, The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. And I think people are coming out wanting to understand our history in order to be able to, to engage in their life as, a, as parents, as neighbors, uh, as they go on Thanksgiving, to be able to say, no, that's not the way America is about. And special thanks to everyone at Vero Beach who came out last night. We set new records in book sales, and to see two floors of people wait patiently for over three hours was fantastic. I'll be signing here in Hollywood, Florida today, and then Sunday, the Plaza Live in Orlando. There are tickets available. All that fun begins at 7 o'clock. We talk about America great from the start. 
from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from Hollywood, Florida. I'm not kidding. The Hard Rock uh, Hotel, uh, shaped like a guitar. It's one of the most unique places you'll ever be, where tonight we'll have the Patriot Awards, an award show like no other. It's not about celebrities. It's about these men and women doing great things on a regular basis who finally get their time to shine, most of which will be a surprise to everybody at home. Another reason to get Fox Nation, an app. I know I've, I've got this series, What Made America Great. And I've got 37 features there. I've got great feedback. I get to get a chance to go to all these great places around the country uh, and look back in our history. And uh, I find it really rewarding. So let's get to, we have also this hour, we're going to be joined by Tucker Carlson, very successful talk show host, according to all reports at the bottom of the hour. And uh, Admiral William McRaven is standing by with a brand new book. But first, this. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three, the people who were protesting against what Rittenhouse did, do they, do they think that he will be convicted just when they were talking to you? Uh, frankly, they, they don't. And part of this is pushing that. They think that they want to push uh, and pressure the jury or pressure the court to hold Kyle Rittenhouse accountable, accountable in, the, in their words. There you go. Uh, day two of the jury deliberations in the Rittenhouse case. Already jury intimidation, a factor. Number two. How many children have been in those cages? Uh, Senator, I can uh, uh, provide to you the following uh, figure that um, when, and let me, let me say, that when a child... I, I, I don't, child, I, 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 it's a simple question. How many children I, have been in those cages? Uh, I, I respectfully am not familiar with the term cages. Well, there was a big picture of kids in a confined area. That's what they called them when President Trump was president. Train wreck. That's how I describe Secretary Mayorkas' appearance in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee as he tries to justify wide open southern borders and tell us it has nothing to do with security. And when it comes to illegals, the global pandemic doesn't matter. Number one. There has been uh, wide agreements on the part of everyone involved, moderates, liberals, etc., that CBO does not have experience analyzing revenue amounts gained from cracking down on wealthy tax cheats who are taking advantage of every honest taxpayer. Yeah, we had everybody ready to dismiss the CBO score. It should be in any day. The economy wearing away on consumer confidence. Inflation wearing away at family budgets. And President Biden continues to push for his partisan spending, uh, his spending reconciliation package. Only Joe Manchin can stop it. it. Looks like the House may vote on it as early as Thursday. Let's bring in one of my favorite all-time guests, an outstanding American, Hall of Famer, if I could put him there, Admiral William McRaven, best-selling author. He's got a brand-new book out, Geared Towards Your Kids, and anybody you're related to, Make Your Bed with Skipper the Seal, also author of another great book, The Hero Code, Lessons Learned from Lives Well-Lived. Admiral, welcome back. Brian, always great to be with you. Before we talk about the news of the day, you did your uh, commencement address, I think, at the University of Texas, and it was about Make Your Bed, right? Right. That's correct. It was just a runaway success. It really resonated <laughs> with the American people. And and have you got a chance to process that on why it resonated? Even though you know, you're proud I, of it, I, I know. Yeah, yeah, I'm very proud of it. And, and uh, I've been stunned uh, by the number of people that write me every week. Uh, I think the YouTube video or the videos writ large have been seen yeah. over 100 million times. 
And um, and I'm I'm just uh, you know I'm flattered. I'm flattered. I'm honored that people think it's a value. But the issue of make your bed, to your point, I think it uh, resonated with folks because it's not hard to do. It's the one thing you know. You get up in the morning. If you make your bed, it, it <laughs> does give you a little sense of pride, and then you can go on to do the next task and the next task. And and so uh, I've been uh, again amazed by the number of people that have found this one little habit. Uh, to be habit forming and then allow them to do better things in their life. So you said, okay, let's write a book about it. It was a bestseller <laughs> and now knock it down for kids. What's the, yeah. what is the age bracket that you hope pick this up on their own? Well, uh, you know, the, the book is designed for kids four to eight, but having said that I did a reading at the Hoboken library uh, a couple of days ago and the kids were from about one to three and I was fascinated to watch their expressions as I read, and then I showed them the pictures, uh, and they seemed to really enjoy the book. So I, it's, again, designed for kids mm-hmm. four to eight, uh, but, it, uh, but I think it's going to appeal to a very large audience, to include adults. Right. Now, do you see any Navy SEALs amongst the toddlers? <laughs> yeah, there were there were a couple Candidates? of young ladies, young ladies and men that I think could be Navy SEALs. They were, they were pretty fired up young kids. It was great to have them there. Great to see you, and everyone, of course, you want that patriotism that comes with serving your country. Admiral, let's talk about what's going on in the world right now. And right. I've had talked to you since what happened in Afghanistan. Right. And to me, I've never, in, and I did not fight there, you did. I have never felt uh, more anger and talked to more people. Uh, and these are the people who aren't necessarily military-oriented, uh, who are saying, why are we still in Afghanistan? But the way that was done was so inept and borderline, uh, it, it just borderline uh, anti-American. Well, the fact is we willingly left people behind. We watched a country collapse, and we still have people there. Listen to what Scott Mann, a former Green Beret, who's put together a group of retired men and women and business executives to try to finance the exit of Americans and SIVs left behind. I think you're looking at legitimate allies. I think you're pushing, and, and inc- that includes AMSITS. You're probably pushing up close to 100,000. I, I think I, that's not a stretch at all. That's including families now, right? So, like, for example, if you have 6,000 Afghan special operators, which we do, then you look at 20,000 family members, right? That's, that's what's not being talked about. Like, this is, a, this is a massive number, and this is why it was so— crazy to shut down Bagram Airfield and Kandahar Airfield before the withdrawal because we had the logistical capacity to do this in an organized way, and we forfeited that. But it doesn't change the reality of the people on the, of what you have on the ground, which is, you know, 6,000 special operators plus families. Admiral, what are you hearing? Nobody has better sources than you. <laughs> yeah, well, again, Scott uh, was a great soldier, and uh, he and I served together uh, over in Afghanistan, uh, and he did a, a really remarkable job. So I've got a lot of a lot of time for Scott. I, I don't know about his numbers; those are kind of not the numbers I'm hearing. Having said that, uh, Brian, I mean, you know, nobody uh, thinks that the evacuation in Afghanistan was uh, was anything like what we wanted. Uh, my my personal opinion is we started way too late. That's not to say that there wouldn't have been some chaos, uh, you know, late in the game. But I wish we would have started in, in late April or early May and began to evacuate these folks on a timely basis. But I would also offer what is missed by this is once the 82nd Airborne got on the ground and really began to work this evacuation, I mean, they evacuated 130,000 people in two weeks. That's really remarkable. And I, I do think it kind of showcases 
the professionalism of the soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and the civilians that were there. Now, did we get everybody out we wanted to? We did not. And I think, uh, you know, the administration is still trying to work to get those folks out. But the, the are they, bit of the slip, are they, Admiral, well, yeah, are they, yeah. are they actually trying to work? Because I hear the State Department is actually hurting the effort of Scott Mann and company who are not. All they have to do is pick up the phone to this third countries and say, we permit uh, the private flights to land in your country. And they're not doing it. Yeah. And again, I'm uh, I'm a little reluctant to talk about the relationship Scott has with the State Department. I can tell you in my dealings with the with the State Department, as we began to because I tried to get uh, successfully got a couple of families out, uh, interpreters that worked for me and a general that worked for me uh, and the State Department. Again, at that point in time, it was right in the middle of the evacuation. Uh, they were a little bit overwhelmed. No, it's now. But they are, yeah, no, I know. And, I'm and talking so right now. now yeah, no, I, I realize that. And now my understanding is that, you know, Tony Blinken, the secretary of state, is working with the third countries uh, to open up some of those airfields to get folks out. Now, again, Scott's number is he taking? What is so. he waiting for? What is he waiting uh, I, for? Yeah. The, these countries have already said yes. I mean, this is unbelievable. People are dying at this moment. You know more than almost anybody. Sure. Yeah, again, I've got uh, I'm not uh, I'm not an apologist for him. Believe me, Brian. I think they do need to make sure that we're able to get the flights, you know, from Kabul or Kandahar or Bagram, wherever we can arrange those flights uh, to begin to move these folks that are still left in Afghanistan out. We have an obligation. Scott is exactly right. We have an obligation to those folks that, that served with the United States and with our allies. Uh, and, and I think we have an obligation to get them out and get them to safety. Uh, so I'm, I'm fully behind that. Again, what I don't know is, right. again, Scott's particular situation and, uh, and why he feels he's unable to get the planes from Kabul or, or Bagram out to, uh, out to a third country. I know that I have talked yeah, to a number yeah. of se- senior folks in third countries, and they are open to accepting uh, you know, Americans or, or our allies' flights into various places around the, uh, around the region. Yeah, all they need is a green light from the State Department. You know what I, I believe? I believe the State Department wants it to go away. And, and it, it's just not possible because Americans are too no, responsible, even if they didn't yeah. wear the uniform. Number, number two, Admiral, I, I remember, and I was, and I'm sure you don't watch, but when the President Trump wanted to pull everybody out and leave the Kurds in Syria, and he did pull people right. out, but not everybody, General Mattis just resigned. He's like, I can't yeah. do this. He goes, I'm, I, you need somebody that you're going to listen to because you're not listening to me. So when General Milley hears this plan to get out at the speed in which he's going to do it and leave Bagram Airport, all the things he said he advised against in his hearing, along with General McKenzie, why did they stay? And what is their breaking point? I mean, this is, their, this is the back of their baseball card now. They're chairman of the Joint yeah. Chiefs of Staff of the worst military, the worst decisions, maybe the history of the U.S. military, and it, it is not their decision. They knew this was bad. Joe Biden, President Biden, did it anyway, and they still are there. What, what, is your, what would your would that be? Would you have hit the road if someone told you yeah. to do something like that? Be- well, Brian, I mean, I'm not going to speak for Mark Milley or Frank McKenzie. Uh, I've worked with both of them; they are great officers. But you know, their decisions are their their kind of personal decisions. But when you look at Jim Mattis and the decision he made. I think what he would tell you is it wasn't just about Syria. Syria was kind of the tipping point for him. So, you know, I I remember years ago I had an opportunity to talk to the chief of naval operations uh, who had retired after a whole lot of things were happening in the Navy. And I asked him the same question. I said, why didn't you, you know, throw your stars on the table? 
And he said, because that's the easy way out. The fact of the matter is the expectation for an officer is, yeah, the president's not always going to agree with you. But if you can serve and do it well uh, and, and continue to support the men and women in the military, then you do your best to get over the rough times and continue to serve. To just say, I'm not going to do this anymore because I disagree with you, again, to me, that's the easy way out. But, um, and, and I respect uh, you know, General Milley and General McKenzie for, again, making their voices known. You have to do that. You have to give your best military opinion. But when it doesn't go your way, that doesn't mean you just throw up your arms and leave. That means you do the best you can to make the best of a difficult situation. Right. So, but this is the worst disaster that you've probably ever witnessed in your life, right? And this has embarrassed us around the world, and it's the reason why uh, Russia could be taking the Ukraine in January, and it could be the reason why China takes Taiwan. America looks weak. The ripple effect is unquantifiable. Do you believe I'm overstating it? Yeah, I think you're overstating it a little bit, Brian, and here's why. It's not that it wasn't embarrassing. It was, no question about it. But make no mistake about it as well. The world knows that we have the finest military in the world, bar none. The world knows that we have the strongest economy in the world, bar none. So while a lot of our allies and our, our fremenies and, and people that don't like us uh, berated us and, uh, and mocked us as a result of what happened in Afghanistan, and maybe, maybe rightfully so, um, but they are not going to doubt the strength of the American military. They are not going to doubt the resolve and the will of the American military uh, because they have seen us in action. And once again, when I talk about the 82nd on the ground, as tragic as some of those events were, the loss of American lives, the loss of the Afghan lives, the horrible right. pictures you saw coming out of it, once the American military got on the ground and began to systematically evacuate uh, those 130,000, it was a pretty damn impressive but operation. Sure, but but we were the only country not allowed to leave the base because the State Department didn't want us to. You had the British and Australians leaving their base, rescuing their people, but our guys and our women were not allowed to. That has to bother you. Well, again, I'm not sure that's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> suffice to say, I think there were some Americans. I'm right. Probably... Admiral, yeah. I am right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm right there. Right. Um, I'm going to just bring – got to get you on China do you think sure. the American people want to fight to save Taiwan? Do you think that the American people should be prepared to understand that we need to be ready to fight to save Taiwan? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Brian. I do think you know, we need to kind of educate the American people on why it is important to stand by Taiwan. Uh, you know, for strategic ambiguity meaning that we weren't going to outright say that we were protecting Taiwan. We supported the one-China policy. Of course, President Biden, uh, you know, last week, I think, uh, kind of mistakenly came out and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to stand by Taiwan and we're going to defend them if the Chinese attack. That has not been our policy. The White House kind of walked it back. But I do think it would be important for the administration to, you know, get into the public narrative why it would be important for us to stand by Taiwan, because to your point about uh, the evacuation, could it affect our relationships uh, with Russia and China uh, in terms of the appearance of weakness? I think if we don't stand by Taiwan, if we don't at least uh, do everything we can to deter the Chinese, which, again, I think we are working hard to do that. We're putting carrier battle groups out there. But we've got to make sure China understands uh, they don't even think about this uh, in real terms. There's always going to be the rhetoric. You know, she's always going to talk about this. Uh, but we absolutely don't want them, you know, crossing into to Taiwanese territory and trying to invade Taiwan. That would not serve them well. It would not serve the region well. And I, I actually think she knows that.
So you do not believe that they're after the Olympics they'll make a move? I, I do not. Uh, now, could I be wrong? Absolutely. But here's what I will tell you: is China understands the price they would pay if they invaded Taiwan, and you know China is the largest trading partner in the world, and that uh, you know that population yeah. of about 1.4 billion, they need a strong economy. If all of a sudden China invades Taiwan. It affects the chip manufacturer there at the TSMC in Taiwan. Right. It's going to affect their relationship with South Korea, with Japan, with the United States, uh, with Indonesia gotcha. and Malaysia and all their trading partners. Is that really worth the price of, quote, unquote, unifying China? I think right. she's smarter than that. I hope he's smarter than that. Uh, right. and, and I'm optimistic that he will not actually invade right. Taiwan. Now, do, do I think he will subvert the Taiwanese government to try to change the approach? Yep. Yeah, I do. Kind of Hong Kong approach. Uh, make uh, make your bed with Skipper the Seal. It's for your kids. Go grab it, and you'll be a better parent having done it. Admiral William McRaven, thanks so much. Hey, my pleasure, Brian. Thanks a lot. Always good to be with you. Same here. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I went a little long with Admiral McRaven, but I did want to get his take on what's going on in the world because it's got to just destroy him. They fought so gallantly. His men and women fought so gallantly for 20 years and were forced to deal with the the shock of the way it ended, the humiliation in which we suffered. And he's focusing on the evacuation. Yeah, everyone did great considering the situation. But I know I'm 100% right. The Australians, the British, all our allies, the Dutch were leaving uh, leaving Karzai Airport to go get their people and bring them back. And we were not letting the uh, uh, the American troops were not allowed to leave, mainly because the State Department was in control. And you know what happens when they're in control? Everything goes to hell. When we come back, a man named Tucker Carlson joins us. He's going to be at the Patriot Awards tonight doing his show as well. So he'll give us a preview of what to expect and also uh, talk about what's happening from the Rittenhouse trial to the spendapalooza that could be jammed down our throats. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm here because um, this is going totally wrong. It is a show and the whole nation media is calling it show. It's racist. It's biased. There should be a mistrial. Without our voices, I, I just feel like we need to show them that we're not playing and we're here. And we are listening, we're watching, and yeah. I'm here to stand up for what's right, and I believe that he should do time for what he did. I'm here um, to support the calls for Kyle to go to prison for a very long time. Wow, uh, that is some of the protesters, can I add delusional, outside the courthouse. But sadly, their voices and the screams are being heard by the jury uh, inside the courtroom, and I fear that it's going to play a role in this verdict. Let's bring in uh, Fox News superstar Tucker Carlson. His show is 8 o'clock Eastern time, and he's at a secure location. He will appear at the Patriot Awards tonight as we broadcast to you now just outside the Hard Rock Theater where this will take place. Tucker, welcome back. Oh, Brian, I'm in the car coming to see you right now, actually. Are you really in a car? How big is this car? Is it? Is it? Uh, and do you travel in a caravan? Like, do you? Are you surrounded? Well, it's a sprinter van, obviously, because you couldn't fit all my living room furniture in a normal town car. And then you've got <laughs> requisite ambulance, some of the security vehicles, and then the the helicopter. Um, but, yeah, 
you know, just a normal kind of commute. It sounds like Biden in Glasgow. <laughs> our, <laughs> our carbon footprint is huge yeah. today. Right, and that really upset me, but I booked you anyway because you make a lot of sense. So first off, am I wrong to fear? <laughs> am I wrong to fear that these these protesters, knowing that Kenosha was burned down a couple of years ago, might be infecting the jury process? Well, that's the whole point of it. I mean, they say that out loud. You know, do our bidding, or we're going to burn the city down. You know, obey, or we'll hurt you. So you have to look. I mean, let's be totally honest here. That that trial wasn't a close call. I mean, anyone who watched it, millions did, saw the prosecution's witnesses make the defense's case that this was self-defense. That's the question. There were two questions in the trial. One, was he carrying the weapon illegally? No, it turns out, according to Wisconsin state law, he was not. So the judge dismissed the charge. The second question you have to ask is, did he act in self-defense? At which point, trial's over. Self-defense is legally allowable has been for thousands of years. There's no question there. In all three cases, all three men he shot were threatening his life. One said out loud, I'm going to kill you. So there's not really a lot for the jury to think through here, but they've taken more than a day. Why is that? Well, obviously, they're afraid. They saw what happened in Los Angeles after the Rodney King trial. It burned the city down. So that's an indelible lesson. They burned you know, countless cities across the country two summers ago. That's the point of this. It's mob justice. And if you allow it to continue, then you don't have a civilization anymore. You've got a place where the most violent people get what they want and everyone else has to obey. And that's like not civilization. In fact, civilization exists to stop that. The might makes right mentality that, you know, is the natural state of man. You don't want that. And we're getting it. It's really scary. And where's the Justice Department, by the way? Don't we have an attorney general, Merrick Garland? You know, I know a lot of people who know Merrick Garland. They tell me, oh, he's so moderate. Really? The guy's like a lunatic. He's like a <laughs> nutcase. No, no, for real. Because he for comes real. off totally you have, different. You had last week in New York, a Black Lives Matter leader said to the newly elected mayor of New York, if you enforce the law, we will cause fire and bloodshed. In other words, we're going to kill people if you enforce the law. So, like, wait a second. You know, that's in it. First of all, it's a crime because it's a threat, but it's also an attack on our legal system. Where was the Justice Department? Well, they just ignored it because Black Lives Matter is their militia. So Black Lives Matter gets to do whatever they want. So, like, I, I, I'm really worried about the fundamentals here. It's not just about Kyle Wittenhouse. Of course, you know, you hope that he gets justice in his case because you hope justice is always done. But it's much bigger than that. It has to do with what kind of country you want to live in. Do you want to live in a country where violent people, arsonists, murderers get to decide who's guilty and who's innocent? No, you, you absolutely don't want to live in that country. You really don't. So, so here's why I'm optimistic. And by the way, I got your monologue last night. We kind of knocked it, you knocked it out of the park. And basically, on this same issue, move yourself away from the play-by-play of the court trial. What does it mean in the big picture? How do we get here? But here's why I feel better about the direction of the country, because we tried that whole defund the police. They're even outside Corey Bush and these outliers. They know not only is that political death, but it is also the end of a city. And in New York City, they just invented, they just elected a mayor that at the very least understands that he's got to get law and order. And I believe that now Kenosha has got 500 National Guardsmen they should have had. They had they didn't want one from President Trump. They realized they overstepped. I think America is correcting. I think that off-year election shows me that they will not be manipulated by 85% of the media. They're making their own decisions, Tucker. And do you see us self-correcting? 
I sure hope so. I mean, I've thought from the very beginning that almost no one was for this stuff. I mean, no sane persons for, quote, defunding the police. Having better police? Yeah, everyone's for that. But getting rid of the police? No, no one's for that. Judging people on the basis of their skin color above all else? No one's for that. You know, that's crazy. That's Rwanda. No one wants it. I never th- I've never thought anyone wanted any of this crap. The problem is that the people who do want it are the ones with all the power. So they kind of get to do what they feel like doing. And I just hope that people resist nonviolently but firmly. Resist this stuff. Resist. Like there's no reason that any American citizen should put up with this stuff at all. And I, and I do think – like I'm definitely against 17-year-olds you know, running around the streets with guns. I just am. I'm, I think Kyle Rittenhouse is innocent, but in general, I don't want to live in a country where you know, people with guns are walking the streets. I, and, and I say that as a, a, you know, a fanatical supporter of the Second Amendment, but I want order and calm and peace. That's the point I'm making. So right. I, 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 I just – right? So a couple of things. You, uh, this soundbite, I want to replay because it's just worth it. The prosecution reaching to the point where it's totally a farce. I would think this is an SNL skit. Eric, uh, who's back in New York, we're here in Hollywood, Florida, side of the Patriot Awards that are going to be starting in a few hours. Tucker Carlson will be one of the, uh, the featured presenters. He'll be featured here, so he's making his way uh, our direction. But, Eric, if you pull up that soundbite, when the prosecution tries to minimize the threat against Kyle Rittenhouse... So uh, and the and the way in which he recounts the moments before he would take out this mental patient. Oh, let me tell you all the awful things Joseph Rosenbaum did. He tipped over a porta potty that had no one in it. He swung a chain. He lit a metal garbage dumpster on fire. Oh, and there's this empty wooden flatbed trailer that they pulled out in the middle of the road and they tipped it over to stop some bear cats and they lit it on fire. Oh, and he said some bad words. He said the N-word. Tucker, when I was listening to that live, I said, we got to pull that back. Number one, you played this. Think about a prosecution that says, I have a great idea. Let's minimize the carnage and destruction and let's also bring up the N-word and pretend it wasn't, wasn't, it's harmless. When everything in this country has been about race, and that N-word is the third rail. Well, it's deranged. I, I, was, I was happened to be watching it said it, and I was completely I, confused. But this isn't a private citizen. This is the government's own lawyer. This is, a, this is a state employee. This is the guy representing the force of American law, representing our justice system. He's the prosecutor. And he's telling us that rioting is no big deal. And, and by the way, the racial slurs thing was just bizarre. But actually, it's not bizarre because the truth is that word's everywhere. It's everywhere. You hear it constantly. It's all over the radio. People use it all the time. But only certain people are allowed to use it. And look, I, I'm against that word. I've never used it. I think it's super ugly. you know. But the truth is standards and especially laws must be applied evenly across the population. They apply to every American citizen no matter what you look like. That's the basis of our system. And so if you wake up one morning in a world where certain people get to do certain things because of how they were born and others don't, then really it's kind of falling apart. Like these are, these are not small things. These are the core principles of the country. And what he's basically saying is Joseph Rosenbaum gets to use the N-word because he's a Biden voter. He gets to burn things because he's a Biden voter. I mean Joseph Rosenbaum is so much more appalling than any person who was arrested after January 6th in Washington. And yet they're defending him? What? They're defending a child rapist who was screaming the N-word and tried to kill a kid? Okay. 
you know. But what they're basically saying and, is, yeah, right. they're normal. They don't apply. The rules don't apply. He literally was getting out of a mental hospital. He they started to say, well, he's such a little guy. He weighs about 130 pounds. You could easily knock him over. Do you see the rage in that guy's face? Has anyone ever, <laughs> has anyone seen people uh, fight? You see that guy? That guy was to be feared, and he need to be he needed to be uh, arrested, and he clearly wasn't. So Tucker, just real quick, I know you're coming to the Patriot Awards, um, and it's rare to get you out these days. Why was it important for you to be here? Well, it wasn't important. I wanted to go. They said, Kilmeade's going. I said, Brian Kilmeade? And there's no chance. I mean, the guy hosts a morning show for three hours every day. Then he hosts a two-hour radio show. Then he does primetime hosting all the time. He doesn't have time for the Patriot Awards. They're like, yep, Kilmeade's doing it. And so I thought, man, I don't know a person with a busier schedule than you. And if you're doing it, I'm doing it. I went in on that. Really? Plus, I don't believe a I word did, of it, yeah, but I'm going to take it and use it as a promo. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. It's heartfelt. Right. So how are you feeling, first off? Uh, I know you've been playing in pain. It doesn't look it on the air, but I know people behind the scenes. I I know and I know directly what back pain is like. So how are you dealing with it? I feel great, actually. I had back surgery two weeks ago exactly to the hour. In fact, two weeks ago right now I was coming out of the operating room. Um, And I feel great. I feel amazing. I didn't want to get back surgery. I spent a month in bed trying to avoid it. I have a bedroom right off my studio, luckily, so I just stayed there and went to the studio and did my show every day. Wrote the scripts lying on my side of my iPhone, um, just all trying to avoid surgery. And then I slipped and fell and totally destroyed the disc in my back, and I had no choice. So I just wound up in the hospital, and they took it out. And amazingly, it worked. I think I had the only successful back surgery in human history. You hear these horror stories, but... Mine was perfect, and it worked. A guy called John Cassidy in Sarasota did it. Man, that guy's a genius. I texted him and said, you're a genius, and he's such a surgeon. He was like, yo, okay. you know, like, they don't like praise, but he deserves <laughs> it because it worked. So true or false, you hosted the next day? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And But, you know, I'm very anti-drug. I've been sober for 12, 20 years, actually, and um, I'm just not, I'm not for drugs, you know, at all. And I wound up eating opioids like an animal like that's i was just like reduced to an animal state so much pain and um yeah i you know and it's just it, it's not to whine and i'm actually not a whiner about pain i really try not to be since i, I asked you man. for the record yeah yeah it was bad and the opioids don't help and and whatever so i just i just didn't have a choice and uh and, but i'm just so grateful i mean i know i actually know someone personally who died ultimately because of back surgery. You know, you hear these stories, you see these experiences people have, and it's just like the one thing I didn't want. Um, and I'm really kind of a peasant anyway in my attitudes. I don't don't like medicine. I don't like doctors. I don't, you know what I mean? I just like to be outside. Right. I don't I don't like anything unnatural. But, I, again, I didn't have a choice, and it turned out to be one of the great blessings of my life. It's yeah, and I now you're back in action ready to go. Right. Even if you don't yeah. need it, just go get back surgery. You're actually better for it. <laughs> Um, uh, is that what you're saying? I mean, I can't believe it, but listen, yeah, I'm saying, lastly, look, this. Said back I mean, surgery, everyone should. I can actually feel the stitches <laughs> in my back right now. I haven't. My wife said to me, "What did you do to your back?" I said, "I don't know, and I don't want to know. Like it's your back. You're not supposed <laughs> to know what's going on back there. Like if you were, your eyes would be back there, but they're not. So I'm just ignoring the details." I'm trying to think what passage in the Bible that's from. If you wanted to see your back, you would have been able to. I'm, just, I'm trying to think the, if that's otherworldly. What do you mean? 
after the Bible. It's Genesis 1. It's Adam and Eve eating from the tree of what? Ignorance? No, Brian, kill me. Eating from the tree of knowledge. You can know too much. That's the first lesson of the Bible. That's the very first lesson. See, you know, my problem, I focus too much on Corinthians 2. And that's my issue. And, <laughs> and, and I tend to get stuck there. Uh, so listen, Tucker, does it, now we're talking now. Does this mean you won't talk to me later? Or have I used up my Tucker time when you get Are here you to, to the Patriot uh, Awards? Dude, these are just your hors for the long, deep conversation about the future <laughs> of the country, human sexuality, Bitcoin. Like, we're going to hit all the really deep issues backstage. I can't wait. Right. All right. I will say this. Tucker did break ground when he made me realize that after you have kids, uh, women don't need you anymore. So you better get on your best behavior as a, as a spouse. And I think that changed my life. And, and you still hold to that? Are you kidding? You have to. It's super easy to make them stick around when they have dependent children in the house. But the second the kids leave, you've got to make an affirmative case for your own usefulness. I have been so much more entertaining and nicer since my kids left. It's like if this chick took off on me and, she, you know, she's 52, like it could happen, I would be dead. So, no, no, no. I, I, I'm wooing her harder now 30 years in than I was when we were kids. I mean it, too. Okay. All right. 1-800-Flowers or Pro-Flowers. That's what Tucker's doing as soon as he hangs up with me and gets out of his caravan. Uh, Tucker, glad you're okay. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you at the Patriot Awards tonight at the Hard Rock. This is going to be a great event. Another reason, besides your series, um, another reason to get Fox Nation. Thanks so much, Tucker. See you in an hour. See you, man. Okay. Back in a moment. Two Corinthians, right? Two Corinthians. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Both of them, to some extent, are testing the United States uh, and determining whether or not uh, we're going to stand by uh, our word uh, with regards to the lines that neither Russia or China can't cross. So uh, Russia has been doing this for a while. Putin's been doing this for a while, uh, putting troops uh, into the Ukraine, uh, and he's doing it again. Uh, I think it's important for the United States to make clear uh, to Putin that uh, that line should not be crossed. Uh, and the same thing is true with regards to China. Right. That's Leon Panetta, former chief of staff for Bill Clinton, former head of the CIA. Uh, and he used to be a Republican back in, you know, when he first started his political career. But he's laying it out. The, the mixed signals, there's too much at stake to play politics. The mixed signals you're giving are two adversaries now. And by the way, allowing your oil and gas industry to be lapped by Russia. And then when you need more oil and gas, you ask Russia to pump more or Saudi Arabia. Now uh, oil is uh, now $80, getting up to $80 a barrel. You know what that will do for Russia's aggression? That's pretty clear to Leon Panetta, who is seen on the international stage where you should put party politics behind. Now, the other thing to keep in mind, the word is after the Olympics, China moves. The word is in January, Russia moves into the Ukraine. Cut 42. President Xi has just uh, extended his term. Uh, he's going to go through uh, 2035. He's also planning for China to be uh, the world leader, to replace the United States as a world leader. Uh, he thinks we're in decline. He thinks we're weak. The United States can't take that for granted. 
uh, we are going to have to invest not just in our economy, we're going to have to invest a lot more in technology, particularly on artificial intelligence and other areas, in order to ensure particularly that our defense capability reflects that techno technological capability that China is developing. That is uh, Liam Panetta telling it like it is. So I want to see everyone tonight uh, download Fox Nation, get the app, watch the uh, Patriot Awards. are going to be fantastic. And don't forget, I will see you Sunday at the Plaza Live. WDBO listeners, especially in Orlando, go to BrianKilmead.com. Get the president and freedom fighter. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.